Hey, real quick, DamienBarling.com, the Patreon button, or Patreon.com slash DamienBarling. Become a patron. Tons of exclusive features just for patrons. Three exclusive Patreon podcasts. Go check it out. DamienBarling.com or Patreon.com slash DamienBarling. Woke up quick at about noon. And we appreciate you tuning in here to the Thursday, May 4th, 8th edition podcast with Damian Barling presented by Vibe Health Bar. They'll deliver right to you. Postmates, DoorDash, Grubhub, whatever your favorite door delivery app is. Make sure you get your superfood smoothies, acai bowls. Make sure you get your healthy sandwiches, your organic cold-pressed juices. Make sure you stay healthy during this time, during this quarantine. I know people were talking about, did, did that was a, a term, was the quarantine 15 a term that's been dubbed here over the course of the last couple of months? People not used to working from home and sitting around and eating all of their snacks and just having more access to food, more access to food than you might have, you know, at the office or if you have one of the jobs where you're moving around a lot and you're just kind of reaching for the bad stuff, Five Health Bar will help you keep the good stuff in the house. I it's, it's talking about habits or like I've never really had a a bad habit in terms of, you know, eating too much food. I really eat on a schedule. I'm very regimented when it comes to to my eating. I'm no I I I, ha, I really have to eat a certain way cuz I have a body type that just, you know, I eat, you know, a couple of M&Ms or something and I and I've got to go do 65 minutes on an elliptical machine or on a on a treadmill or whatever, but you know, I know people are getting different habits here um, as the world slowly starts to open back up. And I've noticed that, you know, we've kind of joked about this over the course of the last, I don't know, month or so about, well, the podcast is posting earlier because I'm just not sleeping the same way anymore. Like I'm waking up at like 5.30, 5.15, 5.30, and it's like, ah, show's ready. Let's just get up. We hit the record button. Any breaking news comes in, we're good, and we'll get it posted for uh, anybody, and it appears some of you are still very much driving and commuting, just given the fact that I post, or you're doing something in the seven and eight o'clock hours because there's a there's a big spike in downloads then, and there's a big spike in downloads around what is dubbed afternoon drive time, which is fascinating because I don't know where any of y'all are going. I figured like people are sitting around the house listening. I honestly didn't think anybody was going to listen to this thing when the world came to an end a couple of months ago. But it, I'm grateful that you are. But like I've started, I will just post it early. And then that way people who actually do have to travel to work or they got to travel somewhere. Maybe they're working out in the morning. Get it posted then. And yeah, it'd be a good idea. Now that that 530 where like my eyes just started to open. Like I haven't set an alarm clock and I haven't set an alarm clock in over two months. Now it's becoming 540 or now it's becoming 445. And, and that's a bit for some reason, psychologically, there's a huge difference between seeing that four on the clock and seeing the five on the clock. And I don't know what it is. And I know that it's if I woke up at 459 versus 502, psychologically, I would feel very, very different. I'd be like, oh, my God, <laughs> I woke up so early. Whereas if I woke up at 5.02, it'd be like, oh, okay, a little early, no, no, no big deal. And now, when I was younger, when I first started taking like training seriously or thought that I was taking training seriously, I used to, I used to go to the gym 
like right when it opened or close to it. Uh, for a while, there, there were times where it was 4.30, a lot of times it was 5.30, but I was always a very early workout person, and I've always been a morning person. I, I've never had an issue with that. I've never had a problem like dragging myself out of bed. Like even when we did, even when the lowdown started at noon, I was usually up at like 4.30. That way, because my first order of business every day is I want to get my training out of the way. As a matter of fact, you know, over the course of the last couple of months, starting the day with the podcast is a completely, it's a, it's a completely, you know, uh, new idea to me because my feeling was always wake up, get your workout done and everything else you do from there, money, good to go. It's no problem. But it, 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 it that's just, I don't know. It's it, again, it's psychological stuff. It's the way that I've always been. And doing the podcast, this, this like randomly waking up earlier and earlier in the day. And the jacked up part is like, I'm not setting an alarm clock. So the four forty-five, five o'clock, you know, open your eyes, start the day thing. It's happening on Saturday and Sunday too. Not that there's a major difference between Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday right now for me, but still it's like, Come on, man. Like, I ain't even got a podcast to do today. What, what, what am I doing? That was my therapy session for today. My man Anthony was uh, texting me yesterday. He was like, man, I don't know how you get 45 minutes out of content doing the podcast right now. I appreciate you continue to do it during this pandemic. And I hit him back. I was like, bro, I'm just thankful y'all are still listening. This is therapeutic for me because I could just sit down here in my uh, office and slash spare bedroom and just talk and tell you all of my frustrations like nobody else want to listen to me was funny I, I I'm not the type I don't really like talking on the phone and most of my closest friends know that normally if someone like if I'm on the phone I'm I'm a good listener you know what I mean like I'm I'm listening and I mean, I'm not a big talker when I first got into radio my mom used to say that's not even you like that's not you on the radio. You don't say two words when you're in front of somebody. There is no way that you on the radio. But that's, I don't know, that's just always been me. I've been more shy in person. I've been more quiet in person. Uh, but I get to sit down here with this microphone in front of me and this, you know, recording software and just kind of let it out. Just kind of start talking about what's going on in life and what's going on in the world. And y'all haven't turned me off yet, so... I'm rolling with that, man. I appreciate you. I guess we. I, I'm starting this way because there's not necessarily a ton to talk about in terms of developments. You know, the 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 NBA. There, you they 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 threw a lot at us over the course of the last couple of days, starting with, you know, the the big conference call on Friday with Adam Silver, and then you know there were there were a couple of side conference calls that went on over the weekend. I believe there was another one on Monday, and then you know you had the you had the star player conference call. There were like all of these, there were like all of these conference calls happening all over the place. But Adam told us or told the players, and thus the players told Woj, and thus Woj told us that, yeah, we don't really need to make a decision right now. And we're not going to. We probably won't make one for the next oh, two to four weeks. Probably mid-June is what we're looking at for a definitive plan one way or another for the National Basketball Association. And I very much back on March 13th, I didn't think it uh, on March 30th. 
Uh, and then as we got into April, and even at the beginning of May, I did not think the NBA was coming back. Now all indications are it must be. I don't know how they're going to work it. It's, I'd imagine for that type of stuff to get leaked, they already have a lot of logistics laid out. I know they're saying we might, or I think Adam Silver used the term, it would be beneficial or it would make sense to do the bubble type setup where we play in Las Vegas and or we play in Orlando. It's like, okay. He probably didn't tell the players that unless they have some of the logistics worked out. It's not like Adam and the NBA crew were sitting around going, well, how about Vegas? How about Orlando? Maybe Vegas and Orlando. Maybe Vegas or Orlando. You know what? Let's go tell the players. I don't think that's how it worked. I think they have logistics, at least some of them, laid out. I think what they're trying to figure out is how red, readily available will testing be for them uh, in about a month and a half time period where I assume you would have to have the NBA guy show up for some sort of mini training camp. And then, of course what I believe to be the playoffs getting started. I assume testing is a, is a major conversation as is, you know, and this is what we talked about a couple of days ago, the what if scenario, what if we get another player that has, you know, the virus. I mean, think about it. When players started getting tested, you know, Rudy Gobert gets the, you know, Rudy Gobert gets the distinction of being patient zero. Like he gets the distinction of being the first one. And then you could, you know, you can knock out Donovan Mitchell and say, well, the two were in close proximity. Okay, fine. They weren't the only ones. I mean, we had Lakers. We don't know who, but we, we know that there were Lakers who tested positive. We know Marcus Smart tested positive. You know, there are, there are other players around the league. Kevin Durant tested positive. Uh, members of the Brooklyn Nets tested positive. Like, it wasn't just one guy. It's not like the league shut down. Because one guy tested positive, the league shut down because one guy tested positive and they knew they had a problem. And how many guys can the league afford to test positive? Do you test before you walk into camp the first time? Because you got a lot of guys working on the honor system here. And I don't mean just the players. I mean the coaches. I mean the, the training staff. I mean, anyone who comes into proximity of this little bubble, I mean, NBA personnel, where you're asking them like, hey, get in, get your workout in, uh, get your practice in, and if you wouldn't mind, we'd really appreciate it if you just went back to the hotel or to the Airbnb or to whatever type of bubble you know, facility they're trying to use. And oh, by the way, while you're at it, if you're going to bring your wife out here, if you're going to bring your girlfriend out here, if you're going to bring your kids out here, however we're going to operate this little you know, NBA community over the next couple of months, maybe tell them not to go anywhere. Maybe, maybe, maybe get a food delivery service so you don't have to, you know, so the wife doesn't have to go out and buy groceries while you're playing basketball. We certainly don't want you going to a grocery store once you finish practice. We'll have food for you here at the facility just as we always do. Like there's a lot of that little stuff where they're like, <laughs> they have to be like, please, guys. You know, just for a couple of months, get us through this. And then, you know, they, they get through the playoff system, and I think there'll be a, again, I, I was adamant that it's not happening, but I'm very much, I'm, I'm very much starting to convert the other way where it feels like it's going to happen. And I think once they get through the playoffs, assuming they do, of course, cause, because just because they start, it doesn't mean they're going to finish it. But I think if they're able to get through the playoffs, 
you now have a situation where even though it they have financial concerns that they're going to have to address in terms of playing games in front of no crowds, I think there's going to be significantly more confidence. That it's like, okay, maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel with this thing. We know vaccines are being developed. We know treatment is being developed. If we can start the next NBA season without any fans, or maybe you just take the approach, we're going to have to go from December to August with no fans one more time. We're going to have to run an 82-game season in a bubble. Or, you know, maybe at this point we're going to run an 82-game season uh, in our home arenas. We're just not going to have any crowds there. We're one, we can do this, guys. We could do it for one season and then come next December, come next Christmas when that vaccine is readily available for people. Man, here we go. We'll get back to life as normal come December 2021. And I'm saying that is a potential NBA mindset because I don't even know what, like what happens like when the vaccine comes out? What happens when treatment is readily available? Is it just, okay, Dr. Fauci says treatment's available. Uh, you can get it at Kaiser. You can get it at Sutter. You can get it at Davis. You can get it here. You can get it there. Okay, Come on out, everybody. Here's 17,000 tickets to the Golden One Center. I mean, it's not that simple, right? Like, how long does the vaccine have to be out there before before leagues and businesses are like, okay, like, we're kind of normal. Like, we're we're getting close to normal. We, we, we know that vaccine is available. Obviously, you want your workers probably to have the vaccine or you want your in the case of the NBA, you want your, your players and, and your coaches and all of that stuff. But in terms of letting fans back in the building, when do you make that determination? And, and again, I know we're all waiting for the vaccine, but what does that, what does that mean? Well, the vaccine's available Friday. Great. 70,000 people in the Levi Stadium on, on Sunday. Eh, I don't think it's as simple as that. So how, how long, like how long is the rollout? <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, how long does it take before we go, oh, okay, okay, like what percentage of the population got it? Like, are, are we good or are we in a situation where even if we, if we, if we get the virus, it's easily treatable? Look, like, where are we? So there's so many questions, that, and that's not just an NBA question. That's an NFL question. That's a college football question. It's a college basketball question. It's a Major League Baseball question. We didn't get much from Major League Baseball yesterday, as we know that the the Major League Baseball owners presented to the Players Association a modified plan, uh, including a modified payment plan uh, for the upcoming season. And there wasn't... I, I haven't really read a lot about it. I know that uh, Blake Snell said that uh, he will not play this season for a reduced salary, uh, especially with the risk of contracting the coronavirus. And he said, quote, it's just not worth it. And I, I chuckled a little bit. I came across this clip of Jeff Passman, who's a, who's a very, very good reporter uh, for ESPN. He was on with Mike Greenberg on Get Up. And the two of them were talking about what a travesty it would be if Major League Baseball weren't able to resume because of money. And Passman and Greenberg are giving these passionate speeches about 
how money shouldn't play a factor and the fans need baseball now more than ever and the world needs baseball and what the major league baseball they would lose fans that they would never get back if they didn't come back and play this year and i'm looking at that like holy shit man like this is a this is a reporter this is a person who covers major league baseball this is a person who talks regularly with the players talking about how the league is essentially going to destroy itself if their players don't take less money to come back to work and it's like okay and, and i get it like uh Many of us are furloughed. Many of us are unemployed. Many of us have taken uh, reduced salaries. That's <laughs> that's the name of the game in 2020. Like it sucks, and it's and it it just sucks. There's really no other way to put it. Before the podcast started, uh, an article popped up from the Washington Post that uh, three and a half million more people applied for unemployment last week, and that pushes the total. I think the 36.5 million people in the past eight weeks have applied for unemployment in their respective states. And baseball players aren't filing for unemployment. <laughs> like, they're in pretty good shape. They're not going to get uh, government assistance, or at least I don't think they are. Who knows after some of the weird things that we've seen over the last couple of months. I don't think they're going to th get government assistance to recover, you know, $8 million of their $16 million salary that they might lose this season. But they gave this impassioned speech about how, you know, baseball has to return and the people need baseball to return. And Greenberg was talking about what a travesty would be, it would be. Like, how could you make this about money? And I'm looking at him like, oh, this is a, it's, it's a, I've always found it a fascinating practice in sports where we uh, look at the amount of money someone makes and we say, well, you know, there are people who would, quote, play the game for free. There are people who would do this for free. And the people who say that are the people who have never, ever been in that position. In no way, shape, or form should a baseball player ever play for free. In no way, shape, or form should a baseball player, or a football player for that matter, or a basketball player, or any professional athlete, take less than what they're worth. Like all of the stuff with, with Tom Brady, he took these, these, these contracts that paid him less. For a long time, that was difficult for the quarterback department because he was the measuring stick. Well, look, 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 what's Brady making? Well, he's making this. Well, that's because he's taking less. He doesn't make, need to make the same amount of money that everybody else does. He can afford to do that. All of these New England Patriots who took less money to, to stay with the team, good for them. But if you're a professional athlete, just as if you're an accountant, just as if you're uh, an account executive, just as if you're a plumber, you should be paid what you're worth. You should be paid for what you do and how well you do it. And these guys talking about, well, they should, if they've got to take, you know, 50% reduced salaries, they should. And these are, these are, these are people, these are athletes, these are baseball players who now are probably being asked to be secluded from their families. They're putting themselves at risk to get you know, a virus um, that really, you know, has, we, we, we're not 100% clear on what the treatment is. We have treatment ideas. We, you know, most treatments just involve, well, lock yourself in a room and stay alone. Like, just be very, very alone. Just see if it let it pass as like the common cold. And if it doesn't, 
and you get the respiratory issues, then we'll bring you into the hospital where these 15,000 other people have the virus, and then we'll hook you up to a ventilator that we're probably short on here at this point. We'll see if we can get you going again. It's them that are putting themselves at risk. Meanwhile, Jeff Passman shooting this interview from his house, and Mike Greenberg, of all freaking people, Mike Greenberg is screaming about people taking pay cuts. Mike Greenberg makes six and a half million dollars. Mike Greenberg is like the second highest paid employee at ESPN. Mike Greenberg was a part of a $15 million talent budget for a show that has utterly failed at every turn and been revamped like four freaking times. I used to joke, and I don't know that it was a joke. I think I'm the only person in the world who actually watches Get Up and thought it was a decent program. I think much higher of Get Up than I do, you know, the nonsense that comes after with, with uh, Stephen A. and Max. But I, I, like, I, I do understand that it's not everybody's cup of tea, and I absolutely understand why everybody would not like it. I also understand that a lot of people out here, particularly on the West Coast, miss it because it's on at like 4 in the morning or 5 in the morning or whatever. But to hear him, of all people, talk about the necessity of taking pay cuts, like, oh, come on, fam. Stop it. Stop it, Greeny. And I just hate, I, it's, it's, it's such a fascinating practice that we have in sports media where we tell professional athletes to take pay cuts and for, for our enjoyment, like we're telling baseball players to don't play for what you agreed to. And sure we're in, we're in, uh, we're in a different time. We've never experienced anything like this in our lifetime. Major League Baseball has never experienced anything like this in our lifetime. And the last time they probably experienced anything close to this was one of the world wars. And I doubt there was a collective bargaining agreement at the time. I, I doubt that we, we, I don't even think we were talking about life-changing money at the time for baseball players. There were baseball players who had other jobs while they were baseball players. So they could easily just, you know, if, if, if you're asking them to take less, you could just go, eh, you know, I'd rather not play because with, with not playing, I mean, they're, I think the way this works is if they don't play, they're taking nothing. They're just, they're just walking away. Oh, but what a disservice that would be to the fans. Like, nah, okay. Realize what we're talking about here. We're not talking about a strike. We're not talking about selfishness. We're not talking about billionaires and, you know, millionaires trying to work out like what percentage of the concession stands you get or what percentage of merchandise sales you get. But I came across that clip on uh, one of the media websites and I, and I was just fascinated by it, especially because Mike Greenberg was involved and he was so passionate about it. And I don't know, I, I haven't read anything about ESPN talents taking pay cuts. I, I'm not, I used to be, pretty locked in with everything ESPN was doing in terms of like a corporate standpoint. And I would monitor it. I was fascinated by it. I haven't been that way as much lately. So I don't know if they're, um, they're like hierarchy or taking pay cuts. I, I don't think, I don't think any of the talent has been asked to take pay cuts. And surprisingly, I don't think there have been any layoffs at ESPN. They, they're, they're pretty regular at cleaning counts. Well, I guess there sort of has been a layoff. Uh, I, I don't even think we talked about this. Did we talk about the Monday Night Football change? 
how they're jumping, they're dumping uh, Joe Tessitore and Booger McFarlane already. This is like, I, I mean, this booth has just completely, it has, nothing they have tried has worked since John Gruden left. They have just not been able to figure out, and and I get it. They they tried to go with Witten. They tried to see if that worked. It didn't. Uh, they they pretty much destroyed Booger McFarland by putting him on that stupid uh, crane, and then he just never he never found his way. And anytime you're a source of any, when you're trending every Monday night like. <laughs> You know, like once it happens one time, the Twitter world is pretty much looking for you at that point. You're watching Monday Night Football now to hear what ridiculous stuff Booger McFarlane is going to say. Similar thing happened with Jason Witten. And then it just became like, ah, well. I mean, John Gruden used to say outlandish stuff, but what he was saying wasn't stupid. It was just silly. Like everything that he said was correct in in terms of analyzing the game. He would just come up with these phrases, and then he'd have this certain cadence that he liked, and then that's why he would be trending. But Jason Witten would say weird stuff that didn't make sense. And Booger McFarlane was actually worse. And so they've decided to punt on that whole thing. Meanwhile, for the last, how many years has this gone on now? Like three, four, three? You still have arguably... Who I, th- who I think would arguably be the best analyst on your roster in Lewis Riddick. Lewis Riddick is one of the few guys who I've seen, like, yeah, Monday Night Football is the pinnacle of sports broadcasting. Of course I want to do it. He's the only one who, who that I'm aware of has openly said, yes, I very, very much want to do it. He's already on their roster. And just year after year after year, they go with Booger. They go with Jason Witten. They go with all these nude guys. I'm not sure why they're replacing Tessator. Um, I'm guessing Steve Albert's probably the guy. Steve Albert was their lead voice for the XFL. Steve Albert's always been thought of like extremely highly uh, within ESPN. So I, I assume he's going to be the Monday Night Football guy. He's done a ton of hockey stuff. He's kind of always been their go-to guy. Um, uh, man, I mean, it works. I, I didn't particularly care for his presentation of the XFL more because the way he was broadcasting it, uh, he broadcasted it in a way that gave you the impression he thought the XFL was beneath him. And it was a lot of kind of poking fun at it. It was a lot of jokes about Vince McMahon, a lot of jokes about the WWE. And it's like, like that's a, like, okay, like I get it. Like that's easy, that's easy fodder, but this is on your network. Maybe, maybe treat it seriously. But that doesn't have anything to do with how great of a play-by-play and a uh, uh, play-by-play caller he is. He's a great play caller. If he's the guy, who do they put him next to? Hopefully those two are able to get together and have some chemistry. Dude, why not Lewis Reddick, man? He's already there. You're not getting Peyton. Drew Brees has already signed somewhere else. Phillip Rivers ain't doing this. He's going to be a football coach. Jay Cutler has, you know, he, he quit before he even started. Started a reality show. Poor guy got divorced. Reality show came to an end. We're, we're good on no, We We don't need that. We got everything from Jay Cutler that we needed in that reality show. So so stop stop with all of these like magnificent reaches. Like if the if the pro if the person in charge of the Monday Night Football booth was a general manager, oh, they would have been fired. This would have been it. Like this is like third times the failure for them. They got to go. 
It's like a coach constantly firing the head coach. Or, uh, sorry, a general manager constantly uh, firing the head coach. That's what's happened in the Monday Night Football booth. And if it's not Steve Albert, man, I have no clue who it is. It was fun to speculate on, on oh, what, what could Monday Night Football do with you know, Peyton retired and who could they add and what could they do? And it's just such a, and now it's just like, dude, who cares? Just freaking put somebody out there and stop changing it for God's sakes. And thank you for not making it Booger McFarland. Put someone out there who's not going to fall on their face week after week, whether it's Booger McFarland or Jason Witten. Neither one of those guys has been fired, by the way. Jason, uh, Joe Tessitore is still a big part of their college football plans, a huge part of their college football plans, as is Booger McFarland. He's a big part of the SEC network. And I, and I think, in you know, to go back to Get Up, in scenarios like Get Up, in scenarios like talk shows, I don't mind Booger McFarland at all. I usually think he's, he's, he's pretty good. Like, I like Booger McFarlane on that show. I really like Marcus Spears. I think Marcus Spears is a fantastic television personality. But they work in certain elements. Like, I don't want to see Marcus Spears be the uh, color analyst for Monday Night Football. I don't, I, don't think that's his, I don't think that's his fit. I don't think that works. Jason Witten would probably be really good at this job if he was in the studio. Kind of doing what Drew Brees looks like he's going to do uh, when he retires with NBC. I mentioned the, there's a couple of football notes I want to get to. So I'll, I'll, I'll mention the XFL one because I just brought them up and I don't know how to bring them back up later. I don't, I don't remember if we talked about this on, on, on the podcast or not, but Vince McMahon, there's a, a huge contract dispute between the former XFL commissioner Oliver Luck, uh, Andrew Luck's dad, and Vince McMahon. And I think we talked about the, you know, the dueling lawsuits that went out there, how uh, Oliver Luck uh, was, was fired two days before the XFL shut down. And then a couple of days after the XFL shut down, Oliver Luck filed a lawsuit against Vince McMahon claiming wrongful termination, in, in essence saying he was owed all of the money that he was promised even though the league shut down. And some aspects of this lawsuit, a lot of it was redacted when we first got word of it. Well, now a lot of it has been made public um, in response to Andrew Luck's lawsuit or, or Oliver Luck's lawsuit. Sorry, in response to Oliver Luck's lawsuit, which was filed on April 21st in a Connecticut federal court, uh, McMahon's attorneys were clear that Oliver Luck was fired for cause, and they cited three different examples to comply with XFL policies and directives. And Oliver Luck is seeking $23.8 million. Here are a couple of the reasons that Vince McMahon fired Oliver Luck, allegedly, with cause. First one, gross neglect of the job once the coronavirus pandemic began. Uh, McMahon's attorneys say Luck effectively abandoned his responsibilities beginning March 13th by relocating from the XFL offices in Stanford, Connecticut to his home in Indiana and failing to, quote, devote substantially all of his business time to his XFL duties as required by the contract. Uh, in the response letter, Luck's attorneys said Luck was unable to return to the office because of Connecticut's March 20th stay-at-home order. Luck was in contact with McMahon via text message, uh, and his attorney's letter listed the projects he was working on, including 2021 budgets. 
This is a good one. Here is another reason that Vince McMahon fired Oliver Luck. Signing receiver Antonio Callaway without McMahon's approval and then refusing to release him when McMahon ordered Luck to do so. Remember, Vince previously said publicly that he did not want to sign players with problematic backgrounds. Callaway was suspended uh, by the NFL for violating a substance abuse policy. He suffered an injury during the XFL's January training camp and was placed on injured reserves. Luck's response was that uh, signing Callaway didn't violate the XFL policy as written and that Luck was responding to McMahon's request to uh, elevate wide receiver talent in the league. Two more reasons Vince McMahon allegedly fired all of Luck. I feel like this is a game show. Personal use of an XL-issued iPhone. Okay, next one. Luck employed gross negligence in obtaining venues for the XFL to locate teams in connection with the negotiation of term sheets and venue agreements. Luck's attorneys wrote that no venues were acquired without prior authorization and approval by Vince McMahon. The XFL, obviously realizing, whoops, they dropped that issue in the filing that went to court yesterday. This is spectacular. This is the sports battle I'm here for. Oliver Luck versus Vincent Kennedy McMahon. I just wrote a pretty in-depth podcast. I just laid out a pretty in-depth podcast discovering a rather famous time Vince McMahon spent a good deal of his free time in court. This is, this is fun and exciting. I'm all for this. $23.8 million, man. What is Vince McMahon doing? You not only, and I get he, he, there's no question he's done in the football business now. There's no question that he's done in the XFL. There's no question he's done with virtually anything outside of professional wrestling in the WWE studio crappy movies. It's, I, I get that. But still, do you have to make an enemy of everybody? Is anybody going to buy this? I mean, it, it, I guess it doesn't matter if anybody buys it. It matters if the judge buys it. But I, this is I, Oliver Luck versus Vince McMahon is 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 it's that that's the lawsuit I'm here for. That's the story uh, that I'm here for. Um, to go back to actual NFL stuff, as we were talking about uh, potentially, you know, we were talking about you know baseball, and and I guess UFC had an event last night that went off without a hitch. So they're getting used to, you know, performing in front of, you know, the empty arenas. I watched a watched a little bit of AEW and NXT. I really think AEW has this empty arena thing, you know, nailed down. And while people may not be interested in watching professional wrestling right now, which I totally understand, do AEW is doing it right. Like Chris Jericho is the absolute best professional wrestler in the world, and I don't think second place is even close. Like he is a phenomenal performer, and I think AEW has put their talent in a position to where these empty arena shows aren't killing them. Like they are, they have like wrestlers around ringside. So it's not just totally silent and blank. It's working. And for me, it's working really, really well. UFC. I haven't watched either one of their cards, but I've seen some of the clips and gotten a feel for what the ambiance is. And I don't think they're terribly lacking by having no crowd there. Uh, baseball is going to be weird. 
Well, baseball, it's not going to be super weird, but it's going to be a little weird. Baseball, it's it's usually not the loudest crowd because of how big the playing field is and how big the stadium is, at least from a television standpoint. It's not, you you know, you don't hear the the same type of, and I think part of baseball is you don't see it, right? Like with basketball, you could see the crowd. With football, you can angle it so you see the crowd. You actually normally don't. Unless you're using like an end zone cam, normally if you're just using the regular wire cam, you, you don't see it. So it's not like that big of a deal, but with with baseball or with, yeah, with baseball and football, you could fake the crowd noise. Like from, because so, remember what we're talking about now is we're talking about from a television standpoint. Joe Buck said, he told John Olerud of the Sports Business Journal that, quote, it's pretty much a done deal that Fox and other networks will use fake crowd noises for games played without fans. And for football, and I think baseball should employ this as well, because it, as long as it's not, like, obvious, you know, as long as it's not, like, poor-sounding crowd noise. Like, you know, back in the day when WWE used to tape stuff, when WWF used to tape stuff, if they weren't, you know, today guys get cheered maybe who weren't supposed to be cheered. Well, back in the day, if that happened, they would dub the appropriate response over, they would dub new crowd noise over. A great example is there's a clip of the 1990. One Royal Rumble or nineteen ninety two, the one that Ric Flair wins, the nineteen ninety two Royal Rumble, where like Ric Flair wins it, and it's the one where uh, Hogan pulls Sid Justice over the, you know, he's he's helping eliminate Sid Justice, and then the two get back in the ring. The crowd is booing Hogan and cheering Sid Justice. Now, you can see that now, and I even think on the network they have the original version. There are clips on YouTube where you can go out and you can see the undubbed version. But when that stuff re-aired, because you had it from the original pay-per-view, but when that stuff re-aired on WWF Superstars and Wrestling Challenge and all of their syndicated programs that weekend, they took out people booing Hulk Hogan and dubbed cheers over. And it's the worst dub job ever. And you can always tell when they have dubbed something, when they have dubbed sound over, as long as it doesn't sound like that. And it was, it was just so poorly done and so cheesy. I would like to think in 30 something years or whatever it's been that, you know, maybe that process has gotten a little smoother. I'm all for this. I'm all for doing it with crowds like the, with, with sports where you don't even see the crowd football. Generally, you don't see the crowd baseball. You almost never see the crowd. I mean, I know when you, you don't, the, the camera doesn't need to follow the foul ball. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the camera doesn't need to do that unless it's a, you know, unless it's a, a, a deep foul ball that, that you know goes to the wrong side of the, the foul pole in the outfield, then you follow it. But like the, you know, the regular pop-ups and foul outs, just let them go. You don't see the crowd. You get to go because now you, you, you're starting to look at this from just the television perspective. NFL, same thing. You're using that that you know that 50 yard line cam that just moves around. You're using the handheld cam. It's fine. You're good to go. You're not seeing the crowd. The only one that really can implement this is basketball because in basketball it would be weird, I think, to hear crowd noises when you can see that people aren't there. 
I think that would be weird. So it, it works. For, it, the other thing about basketball that they're going to have to be really, really careful with is basketball players cuss a lot. Thank God Kevin Garnett is out of the league. But all of the, I mean, I know the trash talking will be fun, the calling out of plays, the name, all of that stuff, that could be really fun. You can't have, and I, and I know that, that like networks are going to be looking for sound. You can't have the court mic. That is, that is insanely dangerous. You cannot have the, the, the court mic. Though I'm starting to get confused as to like what words are allowed on television and what words aren't. Like I was watching TNT yesterday and I was watching. You know AEW, and then I I I left I left it on when like some some Shack show comes on. I think it's called Shack Life or or or, or some sort of show featuring Shack comes on, and in both shows they said the word shit. And I is that no longer a bad word? I don't know who determines what words are bad and what words aren't, but. I know Jericho used it. I know Jericho said it. And I feel like in recent weeks, I think Drew McIntyre said it on WWE television. So that's USA and TNT. And then, you know, it, it, it was said on the sack show. So is this, is you know, because slowly ass became acceptable. You know, for, for a while, ass was a bad word and you couldn't say it. And then it became acceptable. For a while, bitch was not an okay word to say on television. Now it's a word you say, say it all the time. Is there just one word that you can't use? On, or is there one word, uh, several different versions of it that you can't use on television? Uh, that just, I was like, oh, Jericho. I'm like, oh, they didn't beep it or anything. Like, all right, cool. Like, that's wrestling. They, they, you know, I don't know. It was probably 6.30 here, so it was 9.30 Eastern. And then it happened on the Shack Show, too. Guess I'm behind on, on what's considered a bad word and what's not. Like, can I say shit on the radio? Like, if, if I were ever on the radio, or would I get in trouble? I'm so confused. And who decides? Again, I, thought, I thought it was the FCC deciding. But if the FCC allows Chris Jericho to say it, why can't I say it? Obviously, I can say anything I want to here on this podcast, but I'm just saying... Anyways, don't mic the crowd at a basketball game. That'd be that'd be a bit rocky. There there, there isn't a dump button quick enough uh, to eliminate some of the things. But I like the idea of fake noise for uh, for football, and I like the idea for fake noise uh, in basketball as well. Sticking with football, the Rams, for reasons known only to them, unveiled new jerseys for their Los Angeles stadium yesterday, or at least that's how they uh, framed it. And man, it was bad. I don't get what's happening in these jerseys. It's a bunch of randomness. There's a few random colors in there. Uh, there's a patch. There's like these metallic-looking numbers. It is, aw- or not metallic, they're like plastic-looking numbers. It's awful. It is absolutely awful. I feel like, and maybe it's because we have too much time on our hands, I feel like a lot of teams have redone their jerseys, and most of them have taken L's. Pretty substantial L's. Like, I mean, just Twitter roasted. And Twitter isn't the, you know, be-all, end-all. Like, people get bored. And Twitter is generally a negative platform. Like, rarely do people go on it to praise something. They usually go on it to trash something. But the Los Angeles Rams made it really, really easy to trash these jerseys. I'm sure you've seen them by now. If you haven't, don't. They're awful. 
Eli Manning may not be done playing football. He's certainly done playing this year. He's not exactly sure what he's going to do. He's just going to chill this year. That's kind of his feeling. He's you know, not looking into broadcasting, not looking into you know coaching high school football, or college football, or any sort of coaching. He just He's just going to chill this year and let it all play out. But he was talking about uh, Daniel Jones in a recent interview with uh, Sirius XM NFL. And, you know, b- both guys, because I, I, th- I think Daniel Jones was act- asked about this later as well. And Eli said, I think it'll be easier this year for him uh, to kind of step up as that leader. Last year, it was probably awkward for him with me being there and just kind of the whole dynamic. Uh, me being gone, he's the quarterback. He's the guy. Daniel Jones uh, later acknowledged, you know, there, there was some awkwardness. He said, I think looking back, it was definitely probably... A little bit awkward at times, certain times. Uh, but I think we did a good job working together. Uh, I know I enjoyed working with him and certainly uh, learned a ton from him. Eli is very self-aware. People don't think that he is, but but he is. He gets it. He just doesn't, well, talk. Like, he just doesn't talk publicly. Like, he just doesn't air his grievances. But I think he's, he's a pretty self-aware guy. So I, I found that interview with him on XFL, uh, uh, excuse me, on Sirius XM NFL. Interesting. Um, a guy who is not self-aware. I saw the full trailer for the Lance Armstrong 30 for 30. Dude, uh, I'm skeptical, man. First of all, it's four hours, by the way. And like I know we're all in on on 10 hours of Michael Jordan. I can't definitively say I'm all in on four hours of Lance Armstrong. I'm I'm not confident in this at all. But listening, like watching him in this trailer, listening to, I'm, dude, I am skeptical. It sounds like there's a lot of people like eviscerating him, and rightfully so, during, during, the, during this documentary or doing this 30 for 30, which, cool. This is the way it should be. Like he, he should be. He is a horrible human being. But I'm not quite clear if Lance Armstrong is aware of that yet. I'm not sure that Lance Armstrong is aware of how bad he sucks as a person. So, you know, we were talking about these. What was the other one? Oh, Sosha and McGuire. You know, we were talking about these as the 30 for 30s that follow up the XFL. And that was the first, I, I had seen a clip of the Lance Armstrong thing, but that was the first time I saw the whole trailer. And it was like, hmm. I don't know about that, man. I don't know. And then it was four hours. Like, oh, we'll we'll see how bored I am when this. When, and I don't think it's spread out over multiple nights. I'm 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 not. Maybe it's a two week series. I don't know. Maybe they shorten it to an hour. And you're not going to hold my attention on Lance Armstrong for four weeks. You might be able to hold it for two, uh, but I'm not sure what their approach is going to be to this. But it is a it's a lengthy thirty for thirty. Um, one more note on Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson's been posting a lot of videos of him training and working out. Of course, he uh, quipped after a particularly uh, vicious punching session saying, I'm back, and we all jumped up like his 53-year-old Mike Tyson coming back to fighting. I don't think that he is. I don't want to see Mike Tyson fight. I don't want to see anything happen to him. I want him. I want to watch him beat up bags and you know beat up people wearing a bunch of padding, or perhaps he could beat up a professional wrestler. He's done it before. Why not? Mike Tyson is going to appear at AEW's All or Nothing pay-per-view uh, later on this month. I believe it's Saturday, May 23rd. Mike Tyson has a tremendous history with pro wrestling. Mike Tyson is often credited 
uh, as the guy who really helped launch Stone Cold Steve Austin and the WWE uh, into a different stratosphere in early 1998 when he appeared on Monday Night Raw, had the shoving match with um, with Stone Cold Steve Austin. That clip was replayed uh, forever. He was the special guest enforcer uh, at WrestleMania 14 when Stone Cold Steve Austin uh, won the title, and he's appeared on Raw numerous times. I actually think during that stretch in 98, I mean, I get how iconic the appearance is in Fresno, California, where he comes out with his entourage and they do the whole bit with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Like, I absolutely get that because there were a lot of questions like, what exactly is Mike Tyson's role going to be at WrestleMania? Is he going to fight Stone Cold Steve Austin? Like, is he going to wrestle? Like, is he actually going to wrestle? And then a couple of months later, it was March 2nd. If you, if you, if you want a good old school Raw to go watch, go to March 2nd, 1998. When he does the face-off with Shawn Michaels and Shawn Michaels rips his shirt off and Tyson's got the DX shirt underneath, oh, that's good. It's so good. I loved it because the crowd was eating it up. Tyson grabs the mic and says, you want to go? Let's go right now. And the crowd erupts and it takes forever to clear the ring. And the WWE officials are out there like, no, no, this is not happening. And Mike throws everybody out and Sean throws everybody out. And then it's just Tyson and HBK in the ring. And if you're not like familiar with Shawn Michaels in 97, 98, late 97, 98, he's next level, dude. He is the biggest ass like ever. And like these, and you're just ready to see Shawn Michaels get killed by Mike Tyson in the crowd. I think it was in Cleveland. They're erupt. They're going crazy. And, and, and Mike is saying, hit me, hit me, hit me. And Shawn grabs his shirt and Mike's saying, come on, do it. Punch me. And Shawn pulls the shirt down and you see the DX shirt underneath it. Oh, it's so good. I'm going to go watch that right now. Y'all got to go see that. If you've never seen it, March 2nd, 1998. Go check that out. That's really good stuff. There's some stuff in early 98 that's really good. They, they, they're bringing back In Your House for NXT, and they posted like an In Your House playlist. And as I was on the elliptical, I was kind of like fooling around with it, and I came across the, the February 98 pay-per-view where Stone Cold Steve Austin stunned China for the first time. Dude, this stuff is so good. So, so good. If you're bored today, go check out that stuff. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, as always, hopefully we get some uh, news and notes on what's going on uh, with Major League Baseball, whether we're closer to returning with them. I don't think we're going to get much news in terms of the NBA, uh, but no matter what we get, we will be here with you tomorrow. Uh, head over to patreon.com slash Damian Barling. If you want to support the show, you know I'd greatly appreciate it. Or you can go to DamianBarling.com and hit the Patreon button in the upper left-hand corner. We'll see you here tomorrow on the podcast. <laughs>